Hello and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I think you're interesting. This week we're talking to one of the best moms on TV, one of those loving, caring women who is always looking out for her kids, always doing her best to try to help them through their lives, even though they're both grown men and they're both played by Zach Galifianakis. And that mom is also played by a man, comedian Louis Anderson who stars in the FX series, Baskets. What do you think? We have our own Arby's. Um, Siding. Actually, I already have a job. What is it? Clowning again? A, uh, a Russian clown. A Russian clown? Yes, ma'am. Well, does it have health insurance? Workman's calm? Chip's got a job. Did you know anything about this? Oh, what are you doing, Chip? I'm a second lead clown in a Russian... Uh, Circus. I like a good circus. Are there tigers? There's um, poodles uh, from Moscow. Communist poodles? Wow, that's wonderful. How did they get in the country? And this is the thing, you know, you put a man in a dress on television and it's this this time-honored, like, point-and-laugh kind of thing. And we've only recently started to realize, like, how much that has hurt people in the past, how much that's that's been destructive. But when Louis does it, the way he talks about it in, in the interview coming up is like that he is channeling something from beyond himself. And he sort of thinks of that something as his own mother. And he's written a whole book about her and how she sort of inspired his comedy, inspired him to do some of the, the, the great things he's done over the years, including he hosted Family Feud. He made the kids show Life with Louie, which you might remember if you grew up roughly when I did. He's been in sitcoms. He's been in all sorts of things, but he's also a tremendously funny stand-up comedian. And he sort of credits that to his mom, to like what she did to help raise him from childhood to adulthood. So he's written a whole book about it. The book is called Hey Mom. Uh, I, I got together with him and we talked about his mom. We talked about his book. We talked about growing up in the Midwest, which we both did. And we talked about a whole bunch of other things. And it got a little emotional in parts. And uh, you should be forewarned. We didn't uh, do the thing we do every week where we ask the guests some of the same questions. And I think you'll see why I audibled out of that when you get to the end of the show. But let's take a listen to what Louie had to say. My guest today is... Louis Anderson. He's on Baskets. He has a new book called Hey Mom. He's done any number of things that you may know him from. Louis, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I'm so thrilled I'm interesting. I might be anyway. <laughs> I've, de- I've declared you interesting. You are thank now you. decreed interesting. You know, because that's all that's all any, you know, uh, insecure actor wants. Yeah, I'll get you like a state fair blue ribbon that says I would love it. First yeah. place, I hope. <laughs> First place. The character you play in Baskets, Christine Baskets, you've said is inspired by your mom. This book is about your mom and sort of talking in conversation with your mom. And I guess what I'm wondering is, as you've sort of embarked on this phase of your career, yes, there she is, uh, Aura Zella Anderson. Yeah, uh, great has, name. Yeah, huh? should yeah. have been something. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, she was my mom. Something. <laughs> You're from Minnesota, correct? Minnesota, yeah. yeah. She's, she's good, from, yeah, yeah. She's a, she traces back to the Mayflower. Okay. The white right. family. All right, okay. How ironic. I was going to say, she has a great <laughs> white. She has a great Midwestern stoicism to her. Yeah, she does, doesn't yeah. she? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it, you know. When I saw that picture. So this phase of your career, what have you realized about your mom or like learned about your mom that you didn't know, you know, five years ago? Well, stoic is definitely one of them, Todd. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, she does look it because she was it. But when she's your mom, she's your mom. Right, right. So you hardly ever know how great your mom is mm-hmm. or how bad your mom is until you really think about 
becoming a mom. Mm. And that's what happened to me, and that's why I wrote the book, because I started playing my mom, started thinking like her, and minus the birth yeah. delivery system. I was becoming her in the sense of, what would my mom do? What would she say? Yeah. And celebrating the things she said, how she said them, and you know, then realizing right in the middle of it that I did not necessarily appreciate her enough. Mm. And that was a the, you know bittersweet thing for me. Right. Because in hindsight, this is what I can do to, in one sense, write that, you know, is, is to write this book and, and hopefully encourage other people to, you know, ask your mom the questions you want to ask her. Mm-hmm. Have the real talk. Spend some time with your mom, you know? Yeah. You know how much time mothers spend with us that is unsolicited? You know what I mean? That they just show up. Yeah. And we don't even know they're showing up. We just think because they've been there. We don't know that they're giving up everything they're doing. Yeah. You know, she stood defiantly in between my abusive father and her 11 little chicks. Yeah. Which were us. Yeah. And protected us at the end of the day. I mean, all of us lived through him and we stayed alive because of her. And so I guess I just realized all that stuff, and then I, sh- I just am so mad at myself some days that I did not thank her for that. Right, right. So I'm doing it every Tuesday at 10 o'clock <laughs> on baskets, you know, in, in essence, you know. When I sit on in that scene or stand in the scene or whatever s- scene I happen to be playing, I guarantee you I'm keeping all that in mind. It's resonating with people, the, the humanity of my mom. And my mom makes too much. She's always overcooking, like seven or 800 pounds of sweet potatoes. <laughs> so she's got to push it during the meal. They're sweet potatoes. <laughs> They're hot. <laughs> There's more in the oven. <laughs> Some in the garage. <laughs> Did you ever finish the meal? You're eating the dessert. All of a sudden, your mom stands up in a panic. <gasps> the cranberries! You've talked about your mom in your stand-up over the years, in your comedy over the years. And was that sort of what drew you to this role or drew uh, the people who make the show, like uh, Jonathan Kreisel and some of those folks, to cast you? Or I think my voice is the thing Zach wanted because mm-hmm. he says it. Yeah. He goes, I've had you in mind for this part forever. Mm. So I go, oh, that's fantastic. And then, you know, I thought, well, is my mom somehow involved in this from the great beyond? You know, wouldn't that be nice to find out that there's a a higher motherhood group that is, you know, my mom is talking to his <laughs> dead grandma. And yeah. I don't know, because isn't that the craziest thing in the world? And then for me and Jonathan, right before I shoot, to say to him, I'm not going to change my voice hmm. just because I had a feeling of not cartooning it up. Yeah. And then the ownership that has grown for those kids, I really, you know, that I treat them as my sons and tell them not to call me Louie on the set. Every day that I get ready for the show, I'm trying to make Louie Anderson take a hike, yeah. disappear. Yeah. When you prepare for this character, like, what do you wish you could ask your mom? Well, you know, how did you feel about when your kids disappointed you? Yeah. How did you really feel? Were you mad and then just decided that would get you nowhere because of who you were? Or were you extremely disappointed? Or were you just worried about them? Mm -hmm. 
I would ask her that, and then I'd ask her, what the hell did you see in Dad? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And why didn't you write down the chocolate cake frosting recipe? Yeah. So I could make it the same way. That's 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 a funny thing, because I'm, I'm, I'm from South Dakota. And oh, my, uh, that, that's where my mom's from. Okay, excellent. From well, Alexandria, she was born. Alexandria, that Mitchell. is. Yeah, yeah. I grew up uh, just the other direction from Mitchell, so I've been yeah. to Alexandria many times. Um, and so where did you grow up? I grew up in a town called Armor. Uh, oh, after that's the, so crazy. After the meatpacking guy who started the hot dog company. Oh, is so, it? Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I went to Mitchell all the time, world's only corn palace. Yeah, um, I, and I think my mom and dad met there. Okay. And it, my dad was playing in a dance band. He was a pretty big time, you know, uh, musician in a small time way, I guess. He was yeah. the cornet and trumpet player, you know, and I got to play it. I got mm-hmm. to play the corn palace. So it was like a nice full circle for me. But you mentioned the the chocolate frosting recipe, and mm-hmm. my grandmother, who passed about fifteen years ago, everybody loved her potato salad. And when what was they, her name? Her name was Eunice, Eunice which is a good grandma so name, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Eunice is yeah. wonderful. Yeah, uh, she wasn't but, Eunice the character that Carol Burnett. Yes, I think so. Used yeah, they're, on yeah, one of the aunt Aunt Eunice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a famous. Uh, like comedy Eunice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good like uh it's a good like unusual name to sort now of what was out. in that potato salad is what I want. Now see that's the thing. And when no she knows. when she died they finally like got access to her beloved recipe box yeah. and they pulled out the card that said potato salad and it just had like put some mustard in there on it. Like there were no measurements. She just was like doing it by taste and, and just like she had the sense memory of it and nobody's ever been able to get it right. And much to uh my father, his her son's much to his chagrin because like that potato salad is now lost forever. Yeah, and those are the things like a lot of people think. Where do you put the gold? Mm-hmm. You know, where is the watch? Yeah, where is the thing from? You know, the Mayflower. No, Midwesterners think where is the recipe for the potato <laughs> salad? That, that actually sort of leads me into what I wanted to sort of talk about with baskets, which is it strikes me even though it's set in Bakersfield, it strikes right. me as a show that is of my people. It has that Midwestern mindset to it in a weird way. Like we talked about the stoicism, but also there is a real respect for the characters who are kind of living on the margins of where pop culture normally goes. Like you don't see a lot of characters like Christine or Chip or Dale or Martha. Can you talk a little bit about like developing that tone as you've developed a series four? Because most of this season is is the third season we're talking about is a kind of basically a workplace comedy about a rodeo. Like, when's the last time that's been on TV, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're exactly right. And I think Jonathan said it, um, Kreisel, he said it best. He says, you know, you don't usually see people like Christine on TV or Martha or Chip. You don't see a family like this, but there's a lot more families like this than you think. And I think it's he's the architect. Right. You know, he is the greatest, you know, nonverbal person, director-wise, who just guides us through... I don't know how he does it, but he doesn't over give us a lot of info. Mm-hmm. And we're suddenly making this beautiful portrait that we don't even realize is being completed. But he has a vision of it, and he keeps gently pushing us towards the completion of that. And I don't know where exactly it's going. I think him and Zach uh, have the most to do with that particular thing. What I do is I go in and I spend time with the writers, and I tell them my mom stuff right what was happening to me growing up and some of that gets incorporated in my book dear dad i 
had to drive the car when my dad was drunk. Right. <laughs> and this year they had a similar thing yeah. with Christine as a kid. So that was really good, and it was very emotional. It was interesting to me how they they played it. Because you always see things differently when you're in them than probably they really happened. Right. I think just like you know, the worst snowstorm gets even worse as you get older that you were trapped in. Right. And the jump you made when you're young is higher than it ever was then. So he's creating a history for this family, and I think it is a Midwest-based, has a real Midwest sensibility. Yeah. You know, but I think I think there's something about families that is more accurate in our family mm-hmm. than in a lot of things. I think a lot of sitcoms that are great, by the way, are uh, portraying families that most of us don't live in but would like to or think are funny. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a family that people are living in right? and could probably relate to it on a lot of different levels. Would you call it a dysfunctional family? I, I would not. Like a lot of sitcoms are about dysfunctional yeah. families, and this one I think is mostly functional even if they squabble, you know? I agree. I think this is a family who's... You know, like a ship that gets battered. I think this ship has been battered, but they have never given up. Christine, I think, has never given up the captainship, you know, the captain position of the ship. Mm -hmm. I think she's still trying to steer it, and I think her sons are steering it with her, and I think that you're right. I think it's a mostly functional family. And I think the great thing is, is that Christine, as a mom, is letting her kids run, you know, as fast as they can or as slow as they want. You know, she's allowing for their humanness. And then she's trying to figure out her, because she, she's put hers on hold until recently. And now she's she's trying out what she's good at. Well, it's a, it's a very, like, I laugh at it a lot. It's a very silly show. Like, you, right. do, you do a lot of, like, um, comedic bits, if you will. Like, that idea of clowning is at... It's center in a lot of ways. But also, I mean, certainly there's elements of sadness there. But what I think is interesting is you do a show that has a lot of clowning in it without attacking the dignity of any of the characters. Like, they all get to be fundamentally decent, thorough human beings, if that makes sense. It is. Um, It does make sense. And I think that one of the things that's like that when the show was announced, like, the image of a guy in a dress in television has this long history of like, oh, it, like it sort of starts with Milton Berle in a lot yeah, of ways. Like he'd, absolutely. he'd march out and it would it was always played for laughs. And um, we've kind of uh, realized how harmful that could be in some ways to, sure. to some people. But Christine was never, never. Uh, never conceived of as a joke. And like that was striking to me the first time I saw the show. And yeah. I'm wondering like what those conversations were like. Less conversations. Mm-hmm. I never for once played a male in the part. And when I occasionally get close to it, I always see it, but I don't do it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I get, when I get ready, I'm getting prepared to, you know, flick my hair, Mm. you know, and purse my lips as my mom did. I think you have ticks as humans. So I stole all my mom's nuance and ticks and put them on me. To disguise Louis Anderson, to get him out of there. Yeah, because um, for the most part, I'm really playing their mom. Mm. I never think this is funny because I'm in a dress. Mm-hmm. You know what I think when I look in the mirror? 
I look really good. <laughs> and that's the difference, I think. I, I don't say I look good as a woman. I look in the mirror and I say I'm really good. <laughs> so I think the acting, you know, people are talking about, you know, how much they love the acting of it. But I think I'm channeling. I don't know if you believe in any of that stuff, but I think there's an open portal for all of us. And that's what happens when you see really good parts. I think you're opening yourself up to the idea that you are. Because I think of myself as a woman in there. Mm -hmm. I don't ever think of myself as a man when I'm playing the part. You know, I'm I'm Dale and Chips and the um, DJ twins. I'm their mom. Mm -hmm. When I step into the trailer, I'm Louie. But when I step out of the trailer... I am not. I'm. I leave it in. I leave Louie in the trailer, and so that I'm trying to imagine all the the way my mom must have felt and the way she. I knew how she carried herself because she was really funny in her own way, but very like she had so much style. It was just unbelievable. But I didn't know it as style. I just knew you know my mom could beat up your mom, <laughs> but not mostly by looks grimaces and glances yeah she didn't have to do much else or a mean little word yeah but not meant to be mean but more meant to let people know that they're being mean Mm. so she had a tremendous amount of justice in her in her um psyche she knew what was right she knew the right thing and the wrong thing right and she just needed a glance to let you know you weren't doing it what's the thing you didn't understand about your mom as a child that that you do now like we all have that thing where when we become adults we understand our parents better because we realize they were just people they weren't you know infallible or whatever what's something that you maybe understood better about your mom once you had lived on your own for a while maybe how lonesome she was mm. you know I think my mom stayed with my dad at the end of the day because she loved him mm. and didn't want to be alone so I think that even though she was this unbelievably stoic figure I think there's a bunch of us who just don't want to be alone because mm. when we're alone, we're no good, you know, in the sense of not bad people, but we're not as happy. Right. We're not as connected. This book was the hardest book I ever wrote, yeah. even though my dad's book was super hard to write. You know, when you're older, you're more responsible mm-hmm. for, you know, how you treat the people around you. So. And people always say, oh, you were good to mom. And I go, well, I could have been better. Right. I wish I would have. Yeah, yeah. Have you come to a a better understanding of your parents' marriage by having written about both of them? Well, the time of the world then. Yeah. Late 20s, early 30s. So you didn't leave somebody. Right. Very easily in those, you know. Especially... In Minnesota. In Minnesota. You know, you know, Minnesotans will hang on to the very last breath. You know, I remember when my dad quit drinking when he was 69 and my mom turned to us and said, I told you he'd quit. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that summed up everything, to be yeah. honest with you. Mm-hmm. I think I realized she loved that guy no matter what. And mm-hmm. she was not going to give in. And he had to, he gave in. You mentioned that you feel like you're kind of channeling your mom in some ways. Yeah. But I, I'm wondering, uh, performance, I think about this when I'm writing sometimes, it feels like I have a conduit to like mm-hmm. some other thing. And sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes yeah. it's not easy, but sometimes it just it just clicks and it happens. Yes. And the obvi- portal. Yeah, the portal. Do you feel, have you had that feeling before, not necessarily in terms of channeling your mom, but in terms of just like you were tapped into something that was Many just flowing? Many times when okay. I'm writing, mm-hmm. like you say, on stage, when I'm crushing it, just 
free, you know, free form. And when I did Life with Louie, when I read the dad character. Yeah. And because the dad character, I had to do it always at the end of all the reading. Mm-hmm. I do the narration. I do little Louie and then the dad. Because if I did the dad first, I had nothing left for the other characters. Because mm-hmm. the dad thing, I always thought my dad was there when I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's just my, you know, nostalgic, sentimental person who I am that wants to think that. But Jesus, I don't know if you listen to some of this stuff that we taped, you know, because the dad character, we would just have a line, but I would just go off almost all the time and mm-hmm. just go on and on. Louie, get your feet off that sofa. Hey, Dad, what are you doing home so early? Hey, you writing my autobiography or something? There's a bestseller. I heard that. Dad, how come you're home already? I got named Employee of the Month. They gave me a week off. Wanted to give me a new car, too, but I turned them down. Andy, you're home. For crying out loud. It's like the Spanish Inquisition here. I quit my job, all right? That was so much fun. And this is the character I always thought I would play in a sitcom, my dad. Hmm. And look, I ended up playing my mom, which is really just how life works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Your work is never... um... I want to say cynical, maybe. Like, there, certainly all comedy has an element of cynicism mm-hmm. to it, but it feels sweeter or bittersweet in some ways. Yeah. It fit me better. You yeah. Know? How do you think that sensibility sort of developed? I am a people pleaser. That's a big part of it. Also, I wanted you to be able to bring all your family members to my show. Mm-hmm. And also, I knew that I could get a lot more jobs being clean. Mm-hmm than I could be in Dirty, especially when I started off. You know, I wanted the corporate gigs. I opened for everyone, Ray Charles to Aretha Franklin, mm-hmm. you know, and Glenn Campbell and Dolly Parton and just everybody. I, I just opened for every single great act in Vegas for like 10 or 12 years. I was really lucky, and I loved doing that. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun. I'd do 20 minutes, and then they'd go on. Mm-hmm. I'd get to see some idols. You know, I get to expose them to my comedy. It was really fun. I think I do have a much more cynical side. Mm-hmm. And I almost, you know, Rodney said to me, hey, man, hit the road. Get out of Minneapolis. You know, either go go out to New York, he said. And I said, ugh, I just don't want to live in any cold weather again. <laughs> so I went, and I always wanted to be at the Comedy Store, and I always wanted to get on Johnny Carson, and both those places were on the West Coast. So I think had I gone to New York, I might have been a little more cynical. Right. And then a guy named Roman DeCare, a funny comic, he was a really sweet guy. And he'd do the Shriners thing. I think he was a Shriner. And he would do little tricks. He'd go, he would play a tiny harmonica, and then it would be a thing. He goes, that's a sour note. And then he would go, and then there'd be a rubber pickle in his hand. Oh, there's a pickle. You know, and I always enjoyed him so much. He was the sweetest guy. He always took us out, those young comics out for pizza. And he's just a lovely, lovely human being. And he said to me one time after my show, he goes, Louie, if you do clean material and if you talk about your family, you'll become famous. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I hadn't had a lot of, you know, males be you know, interested in what I was saying, and the ones who did were usually right. Mm. I, I think it was a combination of things, but it was definitely more of a comfort because I used to be much more serious on stage and a little more caustic. 
you know, I, I have some tapes of that, and sometimes I go, wow, that would have been a whole different. I think I would have become successful, but I'm not sure I would have survived it. I am the luckiest guy. This is in 1978, October 10th. I did stand-up for the first time, and here we are, 2018. Do you remember that set? Do you remember yeah. do, do you remember that, that night, what that was like? Do you remember yeah, any jokes all, from it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember my parents were both there, which mm-hmm. is a really rare thing. My brothers and sisters, all my friends. I think my first uh, joke was, uh, I can't stay long, I'm in between meals, <laughs> which was a really great joke that I still have used many times throughout the years. And then uh, when I was born, I weighed 60 pounds. The doctor had to bring a crane in to slap my ass. I was a breastfed baby. My mom went dry. You know, all kind of, you know, heavy-handed jokes. I was the first kid on the block to most likely become a group, (laughs) you know. And then uh, most kids had a cute little throw rug during nap time. I had a braided 9 by 12. You know, it's like carrying that back and forth to school every day. So those were really, I my favorite joke that never really got a big laugh, but I loved. Maybe I didn't. I don't remember. But I go, um, geography, third grade. Who do you think played the United States? And then I did later that year to include Canada. So it was a really great. I always love good constructed fat. You know, I love the those kind of fat jokes. I felt like they were, you know, I was making fun of myself. I didn't think they were cruel. You know, people come up to me and go, Louie, why do you do those fat jokes? I go, because if I didn't, people would sit out there in the audience and go, do you think he knows he's that big? Mm. Because I think that, you know, I needed to get that out of the way somehow. And then I graduated from that by discovering the family material, mm-hmm. where one night somebody was with their dad, and I go, is that your dad? And he said, Yeah. And I said, was he nice? He goes, he's real nice. I go, oh, uh, my dad wasn't as nice. Well, he never hit us. He carried a gun. Mm. And I go, he never shot it. He just go. And I remember the big laugh I got from that. I remember that so vividly. I go, this is a bigger laugh than all the fat jokes. This is a different kind of big laugh. Like, this is everybody can get this. And so I was able to take that really kind of a maniac person and make jokes about him. And I thought this felt really powerful, all subliminal. Like I never had any conscious awareness of all that, but I had conscious aware of like, wow, that that was a big joke. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like your family was fairly supportive of your entering show yes. business, which is yes. not always the case with you know Midwestern. Uh, there's certainly that like, oh, you're going to move to LA. Okay, I, I give it two years. You know? Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. It sounds like oh, your yeah. family was very supportive. So. Well, my dad was a musician. I was the first kid to graduate from high school. Out of, you know, all those kids. Right. First boy, I mean. And so after four boys, and I was the fir- fifth one, and I was the first one to graduate. So if I was doing anything, I think they were happy. But, yeah, they were thrilled. They were thrilled. And, you know, I got to take my mom to the White House. And, mm. you know, I got to do stuff that kids in the Roosevelt Projects didn't get to do. I watched the family feud with my mom and dad, and then I hosted it, which was a great fun thing for me yeah i was you know i've had a a tremendous career and i'm having like just the time of my life on baskets yeah yeah well that's great so maybe you need to find the world's best rodeo clown and you just don't know where to start you don't know where to look 
and that's been just a huge problem for you. Well, let me tell you about a way, Rodeo Owners of America, or anybody who's looking for somebody to hire, that you can find the right person. And that way is ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way to hire, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, it identifies people with the right experience, and it invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. So, businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs, and if you want to try ZipRecruiter for free, because you're a listener of this podcast, you get to try that. That's right, free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash think. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash think. ZipRecruiter.com slash think. You mentioned that you like a good fat joke. What do you think is makes a good fat joke as opposed to one that's needlessly cruel? Uh... Like, what's well, the construction, I guess? I guess the, I'll use my bit that I wrote about Fat Olympics that I was at at Fat Camp. You know, it's a good setup. You mm-hmm. got to have a good setup. Fat Olympics, pole vault. I drove that sucker right in the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did a good thing at the Olympics, though. I straightened out those uneven parallel bars. Mm-hmm. And then broad jump, and that, that's the joke. Yeah. Broad jump killed her. Mm-hmm. That's the best, most efficient type of joke. Yeah. And then I guess if I get one more X on my clothing, I'm next year's Super Bowl. Right. Mm-hmm. There's another kind of joke that I, I revel in. I know that you shouldn't do it or maybe it isn't. And maybe it keeps you fat. I'm not sure about all that stuff. I just know that I think like that. Yeah. I think comics don't aren't so conscious of they just want to get a laugh. Right. You know. There's always a little cruelty in every joke, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think jokes really I think um yeah, I think there's always I think there's always cruelty and I think it I do think it matters who the cruelty is directed toward. Yes. You know? Like yes. It can, I think Mine when, never goes out into the yeah. into the stratus. I think when it's directed at the self, yeah. well, that can be funny because we all hate ourselves in some <laughs> way. Uh, but then, you know, when you're talking about people, when you're talking about outside targets, you have to be like sort of very careful. Yes. About. As you found fame, as you sort of rose up through the ranks of, of comedy, one of the things I'm always curious about is how comedians when they're out there testing new material, when they're out, like, how do you know you're not just getting laughs because you're famous? You know, how do you, how can you tell the real laugh from the like, oh, that's, that's Louis Anderson. I think he's funny. Laugh. When the people in the front of the stage that are security, mm-hmm. when they laugh okay. involuntarily, when the person who's been holding out busts up, you know, I've had people say to me, you know, I never, I never thought you were that funny, but God, you are. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, or my wife likes you. I don't really care for you. Yeah. But God, I was really surprised at how good you were. Mm. All backhanded without them people meaning to be backhanded. You talked about how you, st- like, you still, I mean, obviously your career's had ups and downs and et cetera, but you've yeah. always, uh, throughout it all, I've seen you like playing just like various, like you mentioned the Corn Palace and Mitchell. Yeah. Like you will play. All sorts of arena. Like, what do you think you gain from trying out all sorts of different venues? Well, first of all, 
It's like when somebody said to me one time, because I'm a guy who would do anybody's show in TV in the early days, you know, something was going on. Because I always thought if they cared enough to ask me, I should not be disrespectful, you know, mm-hmm. instead of being snobby. You never know who you're going to help. Yeah. I think it's really that simple. I remember I did a Byron Island show. My publicist said, well, you know, why do you want to do that? And I go, because I just feel like I should do it. Mm-hmm. I like Byron. He's a comic, and I don't know him very well, but I, I'm going to do it. I know him from the comedy store. And, and I did it, and I got a letter. It was about when I was doing my book, Dear Dad. I got a letter from a guy who had such a horrendous life. He said, when I watched you on the Byron Allen show, he said, it's the only show I ever watch. And you talked about your book, and I got your book, and it, and it really saved my life. And he told me all about his father beating him with a two-by-four. Mm. And he said, I was able to forgive my father, and we have a friendship now. Mm. And I said, I can't top that. I think I play all that stuff because, I don't know, I love working. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I actually think I, people are connected to me. And if they are coming to the show, taking the time, paying the money, I think that I have a connection to them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the closest kind of relationship you can have and never see the people again. Yeah. Stand up. Mm. There's something really powerful about it. My old job, I was at the AV Club, uh, which is the through the Onion. I always wanted to do a video series where we took stand-ups to like really remote locations because mm-hmm. of where I'm from, but yeah, like yeah, like yeah. Barrow, Alaska, yeah, or whatever, yeah. and just like have them do a set and see like yeah. what people thought of it. But yeah, you know, it never I came love, to be. That's a really great idea because those are the kind of things. Those are the kind of things I put my comedy up against. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. you know, in one sense, I, my comedy is this, the is the uh, lowest common denominator in one sense because mm-hmm. it's just pure silly and funny and and sack. And I think we have a similar... I mean, he's an alternative comic, and he isn't my he isn't the kind of stand-up I am, but he is one of the silliest slapstick, yeah. funny people. He's, he's so old school. And my guys, Bob Hope, Jack Benny, Johnny Carson, Jonathan Winters, Richard Pryor, uh, Jackie Vernon... You know, all those comics, Rodney, all those guys, those are my guys. Those are, you know, I have a real, if people really listen to my act, they can hear all those people, Bob Hope, Jack Benny, Jonathan Winters, all that stuff is in there. Those are all people that make up my stand-up DNA, for sure. What do you find uh, most exciting about comedy after you, like comedy that's going on right now? Like, what's interesting to you that maybe you could never do? The sketches that even I don't get, like I'll watch Adults Swim and I love Adults, like, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force and, you know, those kind of shows. Because I love, there's a lot of silliness in them all. Yeah. And I love that I can watch a shake and fries and a meat walk, uh, <laughs> all that stuff. I love that, that insanity. And um, what I think is anything's possible now. And before there were many more corrals and, and restrictions and things that there aren't now. You know, I think comedy is trying to reach the people who are in need of it. The comedy, I mean, you do a lot of different things. The comedy, the book writing, the yeah. acting. How do those things sort of inform each other? How do they, uh, how do you, how does each of them make you better at the others, you know? Well, the book makes me think I'm smart until <laughs> I start writing it. 
then I feel like an imbecile. It's true. It's like, oh, God, why did I agree to 65,000 words? <laughs> I had no idea how many, you know what I mean? You don't yeah. think in terms of 65,000. You start making up stuff. Why don't we have a questionnaire? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, the book definitely makes me, well, plus it's in the Library of Cong- Congress forever. Yeah. So maybe it will help somebody that when I'm long gone. The comedy, I'm so good at it. It's the only thing that I'll say stands alone, that no matter what, the one thing I can do almost better than anyone else is stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that against other comics, you know. I just mean that I know I'm really good at stand-up comedy. Um, The game show is pure fun for me because I was game show junkie Mm -hmm. growing up. You know, when you're a kid in the project, you know, you you watch those game shows, you're hoping to win that money because you're a poor kid. Oh, God, they won 2000 They got a refrigerator. Damn it. They're so lucky. Um, so I took that in. And those guys were funny, those game show guys. You know, Bob Barker and Richard Dawson. See, he was so cynical and snide and all that stuff. And I always could, because my dad was a cynical, snide guy. So I always heard all the, eh, you know. And that's where my dad was born. And, um the talk shows, that's my reveille. That's my, I get to revel in uh, in the old days still. It's still there. You go on Conan, you feel like you're, you know, with a friend of Johnny's. Yeah. You know, you really get that feeling. You really get that, that old thing. Uh, Craig Ferguson, another guy where you feel, you know, and now we got uh, Colbert. He's really put it in, and he's doing a really great job with it, and... Uh, I just love, I love all those shows. I mean, you know, show business is so full of itself, and uh, I love being full, mm. you know? So those are so much so much fun things. So, And the cartoon was a chance for me to recreate my family. Otherwise, nobody would have watched it. Mm. Yeah. You know, and we hope to bring life with Louie back. So now that FX as owned by Disney, <laughs> I'm really excited because Disney owns Life of Louie with me, and hopefully we can bring a movie back and reprise those great guys that you're, are on uh, it. You're about to be a wholly owned subsidiary of the Walt Disney Corporation. <laughs> you know, which I'm fine with. You know, a lot of people might be concerned, but I'm excited. I'm happy to be a part of it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll sell a lot more products, maybe. Who knows? Who knows, baskets will either be on or off. We should get as many done as possible, just in case, huh? Do you uh, do you ever have conversations with, with Zach and Jonathan about, like, ideally how long this show would run in their heads? I let them have conversations with me <laughs> about that. Yeah. But um, I won't share them because it isn't fair. It's a private conversation. I know about how many right. episodes that they're thinking that it should last. And I always think, well, what about Martha and me having a spinoff? <laughs> but who knows? I always want to do a spinoff because you know what? I'm from the Midwest. And you know what we like to do? You know, yeah. work. Like to keep we working. Like, yeah. We like to keep working. Isn't it true? Yeah. We'd rather be working. Mm-hmm. Aren't you overloaded? Overlo- Not really. I could do another show at, from midnight till six. It seems to me like uh, Baskets is about... Mm, coming to terms with your past in some ways uh, and a lot of your work is about that what are like what are some things that you had been holding on to that were like really 
weighing on you that you have been able to let go of through your stand-up, through your other work, through, through baskets? I think, you know, what I realized was everybody's got all that stuff. Yeah. I thought it was just me. You know, I wish I would have been nicer to my brother Tommy and my mom. I, mine are mostly about not settling things in my family, you know, not doing more. And I wish, you know, there's a part of me that wishes he would have gotten thinner, me, you know, sooner and been healthier and able to do it. And, you know, I think I was hard on myself because I thought I was less than and I thought I was no good because I came from a family where my dad belittled us and told us we were no good because of his addiction and that. But I think mostly I wish I would have been nicer to the people yeah. who I'm, you know, I wish I would have done more for my brothers and sisters who passed away, mm. you know, and that's why I try to do more for my brothers and sisters that are still here now. But mostly it's family for me. I guess I wish I would have stuck up for myself more early in my career and told people to kiss my ass and do the characters that I wanted to do for sitcoms and things. But you know what the real truth is? I wasn't able to. Yeah. And if I wasn't able to, I wouldn't have been able to do the show. So I have very few regrets. And the regrets I have, I've come to terms with. That's kind of the thing about the place we were raised is often people are going through these things, but they don't really talk about them. There's like this reticence to discuss some of these serious topics a lot of the time. And I, I found that once I started talking about it with my friends, even like, you know, when we were kids, yeah. like it, it, it opened up the world in a, in a weird way. And when did you, what made you do that? Just your success maybe, or maybe mm, just growing up? It or? was just, um, you know, I grew up in such a small town that like we didn't have anybody else, you know, yeah. it, just, it had to be like, and I knew I was struggling with stuff and I figured maybe other people were too. And like that, that, you know, and, uh, and my wife, uh, her parents ran a prominent local business and like that also happened for them. Like they would have people come in they just like, talk you know like mm -hmm. it's this thing where people um you know there's so few people you eventually have to just sort of lean on each other you know yeah and i think that's what baskets is about me i agree i think you hit it on the on the head that you know christine these girls these friends of hers treat her terribly mm -hmm. but she desperately needs those friends yeah yeah and i think that is what sums up life to let people, to kind of leave enough room for people to be themselves mm -hmm. and not just keep eliminate people from your life, but keep, ex you know, just be more accepting and, and more, you know, caring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we end every show by asking. Can I, can I just add, do one more thing? Yeah, go for it. You know, I paged this little thing that oh, I have. yeah, go for and it. And I thought I'd read it for you. Yeah, please. So that go people ahead. could have a little. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's a. Uh, Page 45. One thing I really miss. Hey, Mom, being in the kitchen with you when you were making something delicious, how great was that? Dad wasn't home from work yet. No one else was there. Well, maybe Lisa. She was always helpful. But often, it was just you and me. You'd begin the ritual by taking all the vegetables out and cleaning them. I hate dirty celery, you'd say. Celery should be clean and crisp. You'd cut them precisely, each piece the size of knuckles, then wash the radishes, and then cut them in half. Oh, my God, you love radishes. You love good cucumbers. Peel a cuke for me, will you, Louie? You'd put them in vinegar, cut up onions, and let them marinate. As delicious as they were then, 
When I think about them now, they seem even more so. Because the older we get, the more we like things pickled. Dad was always pickled, wasn't he, Mom? That was a good one, Louie, you'd say. What a good laugh you had. You kept cutting vegetables, and you'd purse your lips, and your eyes would go up. Sorry. The same expression Christine uses. It comes close to looking like exasperation, but it's not. It's satisfaction. It's approval. That was a good one, Louie. Then you'd say, Louie, grab the roast. Isn't that a gorgeous roast? I never thought of a word like gorgeous applied to something like a roast, but you did because you knew how to make anything beautiful and valuable. The way you made us feel so safe, no matter how much danger we were living in. The way you set the table, you'd think the president was coming. Little salt dips for the radishes, oil, vinegar, cruets, cloth, napkins. If, if for no one else, Mom, at least it was for you. You found a way to live richly in poor conditions. High class all the way. I miss those little things, but now I don't really have to miss them because I reenact them on TV. Love, Lou. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thanks. Hey, mom, the book.com. <laughs> Doesn't that just sum it all up? That's what comedy is. You have to laugh about it. And Baskets is on FX uh, now. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. it's on Tuesday. Tuesdays. Nights, it's kind of uh, clock. And it's on FX to on demand and Hulu and Shmulu and Dulu. Yeah. Netflix yeah. even, I think. Maybe it's on Netflix. Though. Who knows? I don't know. I can't keep up with it's the everywhere. platform. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's on Hulu and FX now. And uh, Louis, thank you so much thank for joining you so us. Much. Yes. I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by somebody who had a very good mother, Todd Vanderwerf. In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. And yes, my mom was a good mom. My producer is Bridget Armstrong. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulreich. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering and our studio are thanks to P3 Posts, based here in Hollywood, California. Our recording engineer, as always, is Jay Brooks. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or what have you. It really helps us get the word out about the show, and it's been really nice to see those numbers going up in recent weeks. Thank you for all you do to help get the show out there. Uh, you can email me at Todd at Vox.com if you want to suggest a guest or tell me what I'm doing wrong or just, you know, talk about something. You can also email the whole show at itypodcastitye.podcast at Vox.com, and you can always tweet at me at TVOTI, that's to Vody. We'll be back next week with someone else from the world of arts and entertainment, media and culture. And until then, if she's around, if you have if you have a relationship with her, if you want to uh, give your mom a call, she'd like it. Probably mine would. In fact, maybe I'll go I'll go call her right now. 